from Vernissage Health. This is Built to Lead, a show where we talk to emerging and established leaders from all levels within the healthcare sector in the hope of breaking boundaries, inspiring hope, and redirecting views on what the landscape of healthcare leadership is and can be. Welcome back to the Built to Lead podcast, a student-led initiative made to uncover what it takes to be a great leader in today's healthcare system. Last week, we kicked off our season by hearing from some of the amazing faculty here at the IHPME. Julia and Abby touched on the importance of self-care, authenticity, and professionalism, among other key topics which make great leaders. They also provided us with a foundational understanding of leadership philosophies and lessons. In today's episode, we'll be focusing on the student perspective to gain some insights from emerging leaders. Today, we're lucky to have Michael DeWitt, Nadasha Head, and Arlinda Ruko as our guests. Mike is a registered nurse by training and has been practicing in the emergency department at Toronto Western Hospital. He's also currently a student in the Master of Health Informatics program and is passionate about healthcare leadership and health systems. Neda has over 10 years of experience in health services research with particular training in primary and community care settings. She's currently pursuing a PhD in health services research and is also working in research funding. Last but not least, we have Arlinda. Arlinda is also pursuing a PhD in health services research and spent the last year serving as the president of the IHPME Graduate Student Union. So we first wanted to gain an understanding of what leadership means to each of our guests. Arlinda mentions the importance of knowing the difference between position and disposition, while Neda touches on key leadership traits. Leadership is sort of a culmination of practices and behaviors, so not necessarily a former leadership role. Mm -hmm. And this idea has been informed by uh, the Kuzis and Posner model of transformational leadership, which actually categorizes these behaviors and actions uh, that leadership leaders perform on a day-to-day basis Mm -hmm. into five sort of key categories, including challenging the process, inspiring a shared vision, modeling the way, enabling others to act, and encouraging the heart, which I think really capture what I believe leadership really is. And in uh, healthcare, we use something called frontline ownership flow. Mm -hmm. And so that's the idea where the actions and the way that you behave in your day-to-day make you a leader, not necessarily having, you know, a formal leadership title. And I think that's very true from from my own perspective and experience. What leadership means to me, um, this is a very good, I think, topic to start with because it's evolved over time. Originally, when I would hear the word leader or being in the position of becoming a leader or even looking up to leaders, I would think that it meant being super bold, super loud, you know, being in the middle of the action, having all the answers, having the last word. But over time, and especially with experience, mm-hmm. having to be in a position where you have to lead and and share leadership platforms, things like that, I've learned and embraced the notion of leadership, especially in health research, to be unique. It really depends on the context and the person and what it takes for the situation at hand. Mm -hmm. So it's not necessarily that bold, loud, you know, extroverted Mm -hmm. type of person that you would expect, well, Mm -hmm. I would expect. So it's evolved over time. Specific traits, I would say, are empathy, having not just the brilliance of the mind, but of the heart as well, having Mm -hmm. that sort of a genuine, authentic sense of self mm-hmm. um, and openness, you know, allowing me to be creative, autonomous, mm-hmm. like independent, all those kind of 
different things that one doesn't necessarily think about, mm-hmm. uh, but are very important to me. And that's what I look for even now. Yeah. So a bit of a story to go off on that is when I was in my final year at Western, I you know, served as executive director of the student emergency response team. And a bit of a background on the team, it's a 50, 50 team or 50 student uh, team responsible for attending all of the medical 911 calls on the Western University campus. And as executive director, we were responsible for carrying the pager, wow. one of those straight out of the 90s pagers. <laughs> and the team would page for calls involving EMS transfers, symptom relief, mental health referrals, critical incident stress. And um, yeah, it's a lot of responsibility as being the director and having to carry that. But I was also in nursing school with a full-time practicum in my second semester, so I knew from the outset that I couldn't have the pager on me at all times. Mm-hmm. And I guess that's, uh, that realization, it prompted me to try to build capacity within my executive team to take on that responsibility. Mm-hmm. So for me, leadership is about empowering people to become leaders in their own way and to you know, step outside their own comfort zones and um, to really, really just build that self-efficacy. So as my executive term progressed, my responsibility became less and less about the day-to-day operations of the team and more about serving as a resource and a facilitator, which I think a leader should be. And this requires like a lot of trust in the team that you're serving as a leader for, because at the end of the day, you know, the, the buck still does stop with you. Mm-hmm. But I'm fortunate. I had, a, I had a great team. They excelled in that. And when I did have my practicum shifts for nursing, when I was spending those 12 hours in the hospital, I could hand that pager to someone else and I could have total confidence that when I got that pager back after, after my shift, that things would be okay, that they'd be able to handle things because they had the confidence to operate with, uh, without me looking over their shoulder. So that was really great to hear three different definitions of leadership. Um, and I especially liked Michael's story about how he really followed through with what his mentor um, told him to do. And it actually worked out for him in the end. And he's continuing to use that advice. Um, and it's helping shape his understanding of leadership today. Uh, yeah, I agree completely. Like, what is leadership? Like, that's one of the fundamental questions that we are exploring. And I just love the variety of the de- different definitions. As the reality is, there are different type of leaders, but I think the different aspects that they talked about, those are all good qualities and essential qualities of good leader. We also explored the tools these emerging leaders use to help them make the next step in their careers. So we're just going to hear a little bit about that. I wrote that about my experience in utilizing a personal board of directors, which is this concept I read about a little while ago. And the idea is to essentially have a group of individuals who you truly value and respect their opinions and who you can rely on for expertise, for advice, for mentorship, you know, to discuss any personal or professional challenges and Mm -hmm. dilemmas you might have, and who you know are going to be honest with you and who are interested in in seeing you grow both professionally and personally. And so the idea came to me to actually have a personal board of directors. So I reached out to a variety of people in different fields, so not necessarily just healthcare. And I used these people for advice, for Mm -hmm. mentorship, and I would reach out to them with different questions. 
And this idea of self-doubt is very common, especially as a young leader. You always think, mm-hmm. you know, do I have what it takes to make it? Do I have enough to apply for this new role? Do I have enough to go back to school and do a PhD? I've been out of school for so many years. And so I was going through a lot of those feelings, especially contemplating whether or not I should apply to school. So based on harnessing all of the conversations I had with these individuals, uh, the best advice I got was from one of them who said, you know, I was 40 when I started my PhD mm-hmm. and 44 when I graduated. You can be 44 with a PhD or you can be 44 without a PhD. Until you apply, you actually don't have to make that decision <laughs> yet. So why don't you just apply first yeah. and see what happens? And that's kind of what pushed me over the edge to say, you're right, I should just put in my application and make a decision when I need to make a decision. And so I really found that um, similar to like organizations will use board of directors for, you know, guiding their strategy and their development and their business. This is sort of a personal um, way to do the same for yourself and for your own leadership development, which Mm -hmm. has been truly instrumental. And that board can grow and get smaller over the years as you meet new people or as you lose touch with maybe some individuals, but it should always be there. And I think that's the key takeaway that I had, that this has been instrumental to have a supportive network of individuals. Wow, that was so interesting to hear about the use of a personal board of directors, because like Arlinda mentions, I think we often think of board of directors for organizations. Um, But what a great idea to utilize people from different industries to help shape um, your path. It really sounds like it helped Arlinda make some really important decisions in her leadership career. No, for sure. The board of directors, it sounds like it's crucial to anyone's success. The board of directors, that is a new term for me that I actually heard. The term Mm -hmm. that I heard before, and I think we had this conversation before, sir, is um, the kitchen cabinet. So the Mm -hmm. kitchen cabinet of your mentors, how do you equip yourself with the essential tools you need to actually um, succeed. So you need all different types of tools. So even in healthcare, um, I think Arlenda was mentioning to us off the record that you just also need mentors outside the healthcare industry. So there's value and there's an insightful perspective from outside the industry that can actually help you. Mm-hmm. And there. especially, yeah, I think especially because healthcare doesn't live in a silo. Exactly. Um, everyone will access healthcare at some point in their life. So hearing from different people will really help you understand where your strengths are. And I think that other opinions when it comes to leadership, regardless of industry, can be really valuable. Yeah, so I'm really fortunate to have friends and mentors uh, who do encourage me to step outside my comfort zone. And the best thing about them is that they they tell you the truth. Mm -hmm. Um, Even if it's uncomfortable, even if what they you know, advise you to do makes you uncomfortable, they still say straight up, this is, this is what you need to do, this is what I see in you. Um, and it, it really you know, pushes you in that direction to, to make change. Uh, after I got into um, MHI, I remember I was sitting in the office of one of, uh, one of my mentors and former professors at uh, the Western Faculty of Nursing, who I respect greatly and they used to be on faculty here um, at IHPME mm-hmm. and I remember asking him like Richard like what do I need to do to prepare for grad school mm-hmm. like is there stuff I should read is there are there areas where I should improve my skills like I don't know anything about um, <laughs> like data science or anything what should I do and instead of telling me to study something specific 
he uh, he said something I found really really helpful, and I'll always remember. He said, "Mike, you do excellent work, but you're quiet." Mm-hmm. And I thought to myself, "Yeah, that's that's right. Like I I enjoyed his class, but I never really like, put up my hand or put myself out there. Right. Um, I just kind of did my own thing." So he said, "Try to put yourself out there more. Um, try to network. Try to step outside your comfort zone." Mm-hmm. And this is something I had never really done before. And the idea of approaching someone who I didn't know and walking up to them and introducing myself and saying, hi, I'm Mike. I'm uh, an <laughs> MHI student. Um, what's your name? What do you do? Like, yeah. that just freaked me out. But I thought, okay, I'll, I'll give it a try. Because having that mentor, it's, um, you know, it's someone you respect and you want to, you want to take, their, take their recommendations to heart. Mm-hmm. So before the program started, I was at the launch symposium for the Schwartz-Reisman um, Institute for Technology and Society cool. that had just, uh, just become incorporated here at U of T. And one of the faculty members there was an IHPME um, researcher, and I had an interest in the research, and I said to myself, okay, I'm going to do it, Richard said. <laughs> I'm going to introduce myself. I'll ask about the research. It's going to be great. And... I remember in my excitement to do this, I like walked right up to them. They were sitting down at a table with some other people. Um, I introduced myself, and I didn't realize that they were conducting a lab meeting. Oh my gosh! <laughs> with their entire lab staff, right there at that table. That's funny. And they're just like, oh, I'm kind of busy right now. Um, <laughs> and I was, I was mortified. I was so like, it didn't go as expected. <laughs> Great. I just embarrassed myself. I'm gonna disappear. And yeah. Never doing this again. That's so funny. But they were very gracious, and we did end up uh, chatting later in the day. Mm-hmm. And at subsequent events, I tried again, and again, and every subsequent time I, I did that. I put myself out there a little bit more. I stepped outside my comfort zone a little bit more it became easier mm-hmm. and eventually striking up that conversation and becoming more engaged in, uh, in what I'm doing here. Um, it, it began to feel natural. Yeah. So yeah, having, having those mentors and those friends who tell you sometimes, you know, truths about yourself that are hard to swallow. It's so important because it, it does, it does force you to become a better person. I feel. I think another really great, uh, thing about the personal board of directors is that you can get inspiration from so many different industries. Um, and it can also help you pivot in times where you might be feeling stuck. Um, that's what happened with me. I was always really interested in healthcare, but I didn't really understand that there was this whole informatics lens to it. And it wasn't until I started talking to people in different industries. Um, and while I didn't exactly want to go into tech just for the sake of going into tech, um, it was a really great experience for me to learn about technology and then realize that it can be applied to healthcare. And Sarah, what I think that actually um, touches on is like they're pushing outside of your comfort zone. Mm-hmm. So sometimes it's a challenge for us to see things outside of our own perspective. So sometimes we do need that push, uh, which I think is pretty much essential. So like you, you were not thinking of going into, let's say, health informatics. And now the options for your careers are opening up. Mm-hmm. So I think it's important for us to just recognize that being outside our comfort zone is important to actually success. Because one thing I did learn is that you cannot grow while being in comfort. So if you're too relaxed, if you're too complacent, you miss a lot of opportunities to stretch yourself and to expand your skill sets. 
And during these uncomfortable situations and you have that healthy level of confidence, that's when you can actually max, maximize your potential. So we do have some emerging leaders here that we spoke to today, our guests, that, that had stories about confidence and self-doubt. So let's see how they dealt with that. So um, in, before starting my, my doctoral studies, I was working. And so in my experience, there would be a new opportunity that came up. And as when you think about, you know, as a woman, an immigrant, a part of, you know, many different minority groups, including being a queer woman, mm-hmm. what I noticed is that a lot of roles in middle management, especially, were overrepresented by women. But then when you get to senior leadership levels, less very few women would actually yeah. get there. And these positions would be dominated usually by men, um, which was very disheartening. So mm-hmm. when an opportunity came up to apply for you know, a director level um, job, which I thought at that time was outside of my league, mm-hmm. I actually didn't apply for it initially. And it was that self-doubt that kept me from applying, from putting my name in, mm-hmm. even though I was the one person in the organization who knew the most about that role because I was working already as part of that team. And so that self-doubt forced, essentially didn't allow me to put my name forward. And so um, somebody else came on board. They were in the position as interim. uh, And then after about a year, they they posted the the, uh, job for permanent. Mm And so I had regretted the decision not to put my name forward initially mm. for quite some time, and it was eating me up inside. And I told myself after that if this position ever uh, became available again, no matter what the situation, I would throw my name in the hat. And I did. So mm. the second time around, I actually did un- end up um, putting in an application. I got an interview, and I went to the interview. Um, I was prepared. I felt it went really well. Mm-hmm. and. Um, I heard back after that, unfortunately, I did not get the job. Mm. And so what I did is I asked for some feedback, especially being a young leader. You're always trying to harness any opportunity to get feedback on, you know, Mm -hmm. your interview skills, how you presented yourself. And I remember the VP saying, Arlinda, I wish I could give you feedback. All I can say is that you did a phenomenal job and there's nothing more that you could have done that you didn't address or didn't do. Your presentation was great. You aligned your strategy very well with um, healthcare system strategy. Mm-hmm. And there's really nothing I can give you to work on. However, you didn't end up getting the role mm-hmm. um, because essentially this, this other individual had been in the role for that interim period. And so that was really disheartening to hear, but also very validating to for hear sure. that I had all the skills and had I initially applied for it, I could have been that mm-hmm. successful recipient. So it's that self-doubt that essentially prevented me from, you know, getting this wonderful opportunity. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I think things work out um, for a reason. And it that was also, you know, a, a, an experience I had that really forced me to think about the PhD and do mm-hmm. I want to go back to school. And so in the end, you know, I'm here as a PhD <laughs> candidate. So things worked out but it just to sh- just goes to show that uh, you know you have so much self-doubt but other people don't necessarily see you that way yeah so we just have to think about how we can stop ourselves from taking all of these opportunities mm-hmm. an example came to mind if it's okay I can yep. share it it's a little bit different but it's the best example I can think of right now mm-hmm. I was um, teeing it was last year I was teeing and the class that um, I was with 
you know, over time we got to like really connect, you know, and they'd tell me about their problems and how much pressure they're under. We've all been there. We're all still there (laughs) working, supporting families, like trying to get the grades, trying to plan Mm -hmm. a future, things like that. And I have a mixed methods background, but I'm not necessarily trained in specific types of analyses. And this tutorial was covering uh, a technique that I'm not familiar with. Mm-hmm. I'd done the prep work, but on the spot, I didn't have the answer. Mm-hmm. And I just didn't pretend. And I turned around to the class and I asked. And just to see them, they were just like, oh my God, Miss doesn't know, Miss doesn't know. <laughs> they call me Miss. <laughs> I was like, no, I don't know. Does anyone know? And Mm. the most unassuming and the quietest person got up, goes up to the blackboard, literally put down this huge formula, Mm. figured it all out, and the whole class broke out into like a roar and they're cheering. And we solved the problem. And it was great. And no ego, Mm -hmm. no nothing. We carry on. And it was just such a nice thing to witness. Mm. Yeah. So it took time. I don't think I could have done that years ago. But just, you know, it's okay if you don't have the answers. But also giving the other person space and showing that mm-hmm. it's okay to not know and allowing mm-hmm. the other person to lead. Yeah. Lastly, all three of our guests shared stories um, and pieces of advice for students that we think are very valuable. So let's take a listen. I just want to share something that um, as president during this past few months, one thing that I think has been um invaluable in my experience is getting random emails or texts from peers and colleagues who say things like you're doing a great job keep it up so it's these little things that actually fuel you with the energy to keep going and validate a lot of the hard work that you put in so I think one key takeaway for all of us as students is to build each other up to to send thank you notes even when you're not required to to essentially recognize people for the work that they're putting in and just to say you know you're doing great Mm -hmm. Uh, even if if you don't feel that way but other people are feeling that way I think it's important to voice and recognize um, those contributions of people and to me that's been very beneficial and instrumental to kind of keep Mm -hmm. me going especially when you get those emails in a day that's you know super long and you're exhausted and you're like why am I doing this why did I sign up for Mm -hmm. for a role like this and then you get something like that and it just it just definitely um, fuels you. Yeah. So definitely build each other up as much as we can. And I think we owe it to, to our colleagues and to our peers to do that. Um, the number one thing that comes to mind is, you know, newly being in a position of having to lead, whether it's a team or a big project, just being in a position like that and perhaps projecting someone else's leadership style. That leads to some sense of conflict, inner conflict, external mm-hmm. conflict, just again taking away from that authenticity of how you solve problems so I learned that lesson over time to just embrace who I am as a person and how I would lead um, and want to solve problems and it's okay to not be this super extroverted Mm, loud person Um, just do it your own way and that brought so much peace and, and and just such a great feeling being in that position which takes me to my next point of that having that empathy and genuine um, grace about things, it's Mm -hmm. hard and it takes a lot of work. So I think over time and what's really helped me become more confident is not reacting so quickly. And I hope that I can continue working on it. It's literally a daily practice of just being mindful and Mm -hmm. assessing the situation versus quickly reacting. And I would say, again, coming from a place of empathy, that that would have been... uh, 
from insecurity. You know, I've, I, I totally see myself having had been insecure about something, not, you know, wanting control. And I see this now, especially with first time uh, managers, for mm-hmm. example, they just want to be able to solve everything and, and figure everything out. So it's tough. So for me, the, the fall of last year in 2019, it was an interesting time because I was starting out in this phenomenal master's program and I had made new friends in the program and um, everything seemed to be great. But I wasn't really happy with where, where I was at. And at the basis of this unhappiness was this nagging feeling that for some reason I was never achieving my full potential mm-hmm. and that I was never good enough. Yeah. And the reason for this, I feel, is that the, the brain has this way of moving the goalposts in life. Mm-hmm. When we achieve one thing, the paint has barely dried on that accomplishment before we feel the need to do something else. Right. And maybe that's why I like working in Emerge so much is mm-hmm. because we do get to move from one thing to another and there's always another challenge. There's always another source of, of gratification. Mm-hmm. And being driven is not a bad thing. Uh, it's not bad to be um, forward thinking and, and thinking about the future, but somewhere along the line, I stopped thinking about, I'm looking forward to doing this and started thinking I'll be happy when I do this. Right. And there's that really insidious difference between the two. Um, so it ended up being, I'll be happy when I get into grad school mm-hmm. and I'll be happy when I get that scholarship I was nominated for. And I'll be happy when I start my practicum right? and so on. And because we can't be accomplishing great things 24 seven, um, because we're only human, it resulted in a lot of time spent thinking I'm not good enough or I'm not talented enough and I'm an imposter. Mm-hmm. And it took a conscious effort this fall for me to stop moving the goalposts and it's not an easy thing to do right because it requires us to be present in the here and now Mm -hmm. and to not worry so much about the past or the future but when we really take the time to inspect the present where we're at right now we realize it's actually not such a bad place to hang out yeah and you know, in my case, I'm in a stimulating program, and I have supportive classmates and faculty members. And I'm working as a nurse where I have the privilege to help people on their worst days. And I get to do cool stuff like this podcast. And I have everything I need to be content right here, right now. Um, and from that, from that sense of contentment comes a realization that at this point in time, I am good enough. Mm-hmm. And that helps silence that inner voice that says, you're an imposter. Mm-hmm. Because when I reflect on the good things in life, whether it's like a big deal like the, the Vector Scholarship or even something like uh, an encouraging comment that, that a friend's made, it solidifies the truth that you know, I do belong here, that I do have value and that I'm not an imposter. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for sharing that story. I think it definitely resonated with me, and I'm sure it'll resonate with many of our listeners. I think that I think about this a lot as well, the fact that sometimes I think that ambition, to be ambitious means you're always looking at the next thing, which also 
kind of means that you're not taking the time to appreciate all of all the things that you've accomplished. Um, so what my family and I have started doing, which has been really fun, is that we now just pop champagne for fun. You know, <laughs> when people are just achieving their everyday goals, like if we're all happy and healthy um, and f- feeling fulfilled, then we can just celebrate that. There's no need to celebrate oh, when you graduate, you know, when you get your first job. You can also just celebrate the fact that you are here and now and doing well. Man, now that's what I call living in the moment. Celebrate the small wins. Eventually, they come together to form the big win. It's such a great way to stay motivated while you work towards your ultimate goals. That's part of the recipe for success. And you possess all the right ingredients. But all great recipes are built in a kitchen. And even though you have all the essential ingredients, your recipe may not come out like you envision without the right tools. Imagine prepping a four-course meal with only a spatula. It just doesn't really work. So, who do you have in your kitchen cabinet? You will need a variety of kitchen tools and appliances. That is, trusted advisors, mentors, who provide different and unique perspectives. Variety is key. That's how you complete the recipe of success. But there is caviar. Sorry, I meant a caveat. Sometimes the unique perspectives from your kitchen cabinet of advisors will push you outside your comfort zone. Learn to be comfortable being uncomfortable. This can be difficult. That voice telling you, what am I doing here? I've never done this before, is not uncommon. Everyone has to start somewhere. And the more you practice and push your boundaries, you'll be pleased to know that you will begin to experience increased confidence. So repeat, rinse, repeat, rinse, repeat. That's the key. Now look who's the master chef. You're listening to Built to Lead. Built to Lead is a student-directed podcast and companion initiative to the Vernissage Health Dialogue series for health leaders. We want to thank the Vernissage Health Partners for their generous support in making this podcast possible. Thank you to the Associated Medical Services, the Dalalana School of Public Health, the Institute of Health Policy, Management and Evaluation, and the Rotman School of Management. Built to Lead is hosted by IHPME students, Sarah Sawaya, that's me, and Matthew Goldborn. Music is composed by Sindhu, and the episode was edited and mixed by Madden and Mitchell Media. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed Built to Lead, make sure to follow, subscribe, leave a review, and tell a friend. We're building the health leaders of tomorrow. Madden and Mitchell Media.